Requesting connection. Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. 1804 is finally upon us and man, does it look terrific. I have been kicking the tires on it, playing with it. And uh, had a conversation with Chris, and both of us agree that doing a review right out of the gate is not the best way to do things. Because oftentimes what you find in an initial review is different than what you find doing it six months down the road. And so uh, I'm not here to tell you, give you my final word on 1804. I I can't do that. I can't tell you that it's, I can't tell you that it's ready for production. I don't know. It could be the best distribution Canonical has ever released. It could be the worst distribution Canonical has has ever released. But what I can tell you is so far, it looks and feels amazing. Now, full disclaimer, this is not on my main ThinkPad. This is on a spare machine that I am using uh, to test the distro. So I have a small, it's a Dell Latitude I guess I can't think of the exact model, but it's it's a Dell Latitude, uh, moder- current current specs, current current processor, sixteen gigs of RAM, very very nice machine. Um, so I'm not testing it inside of uh, inside of a VM. I actually have it on metal, and I did the show prep on it this morning, and uh, I'm using it now, and uh, have been using it for about well since I got home from Linux Fest last night. One of the things that I have noticed about 1804 is it has cemented itself enough from a spec standard on paper that I want to use it on all of my machines. Now, I won't be using Ubuntu proper. I'm going to go with Kubuntu. And I can't remember if it was Chris that was on the show or Simon that was on the show. One of the last two episodes we talked about this. Everything lands on the LTS, the base operating system, the toolkit, the desktop, everything lands on the LTS. So it might be one of the most stable operating systems, Linux distros that you could use. And again, I'm referring to Kubuntu 18.04. When I reload my laptop, I'm going to reload it with Kubuntu. These machines at the studio, they're all getting reloaded with Kubuntu. The newest thing and the first thing that stands out is when you go through the installer, you have this new option that is the minimum install mode. And uh, we used the heck out of that back at JB1. We reloaded a bunch of the machines there, again, all with Kubuntu. So LTS all up the stack. And we used that minimal install, except for once when I forgot. But that minimal install removes a lot of the unwanted, undesired, unneeded software. When you're using a production box, you don't need LibreOffice. A lot of people don't like, well, I shouldn't say a lot of people. There are some people that don't like LibreOffice. A lot of people that don't need it. And so when the, when the operating system, especially software that is available in the repositories, especially in the age of snap installs, there really isn't a lot of reason to pre-install all of this stuff on the computer. Back when we were shipping operating systems on disks and LibreOffice was a five-hour commitment to download it, You know, it kind of made sense to ship it on the disk and make it an option to install or just install it by default. So people had those tools available to them if they wanted to open it. And certainly for new users, I think it's a great option if you've not used Linux before or if you're transitioning away from Windows and you want the ability to open that software or open those documents, open those files up. I think that the full install is a great option, but I really like the new minimal install. In fact, that is my go to now. Anytime I'm reloading a machine. And the interesting thing about the minimal install is it actually contains most of the things that you need anyway. It contains a modern web browser. It contains VLC. It contains a file manager. 
And I remember one of the first times I built an arch box and I had tried to do this thing where I was going to start and I was going to choose everything I wanted to install by hand. And for I eventually got there, but it was a bit of, a bit of a disaster the first couple of weeks because you have to understand something. When when you install Arch, literally nothing comes installed. Nothing. Like even the utilities used to mount and read flash drives. So I was at a client and I went to read, I think it was an extended fat um, SD card, something like that. Plug it into my laptop and I can't read it. Now, having used Linux for many, many years, having used that particular laptop for a while, I just assumed I assumed the SD card is bad. And I told him so. I said, hey, your SD card is bad. And so he proceeds to put it into his Windows machine and it loads just fine. Puts it into another Windows machine and it loads just fine. Then it dawns on me. There's no utility to read the extended fat partition. And so I had to install it. And, and it was a it was a great learning experience. Which is why anytime somebody ever tells me, I want to learn more about computers, I typically will tell them, take a look at Arch or take a look at Gentoo, because they're very good learning experiences. And I personally don't think I would want to use either one of those two in production full time, but it's an excellent learning experience. Other things you'll find with 1804, it comes with GNOME by default. Now, I feel like I owe the GNOME community a bit of an apology. Last week, we took a call from a gentleman. He called up and he said, hey, Noah, I know that you guys don't really like GNOME. Uh, and I know that you frequently, you know, bash on it. But uh, I uh, and then, uh, you know, he went on with the rest of his call. And, and I, I, I defended our position, my, my, my position, I guess, a little bit. And I just said, I don't think that's accurate. I, I don't think that he was referring to Chris and myself. I said, I don't think either one of us don't like GNOME. In fact, I would go as far as to say I think it's one of our favorite desktops. But. I think that there are some systemic issues with GNOME that prevent us from using it full-time in production. And uh, after I got off the air, I got emails and telegrams and IRC messages uh, and, and a bunch of people just said, hey man, I, you know, I just want to let you know. Uh, I, I, I feel like I've gotten the same message from you that you really don't like GNOME, that you, you talk about GNOME like it's a bad desktop environment or not sufficient desktop environment. And I just want to let you know that caller was pretty much on par with how I feel. And the first two or three of those messages, I guess I, I guess I kind of just assume that to a certain degree that there are, you know, some people that will misinterpret things or there's some people that will read too much into what I say. And this morning I had a conversation with a good friend of mine. Um, who I deeply respect, and I and I know that he knows me personally, so I know that his interpretation of what I say is is on par, probably more than some other listeners. And uh, he reached out to me, and he said, "You know, I understand where you're coming from, and I understand why you're you know defending your position, but I just want to let you know I'm in, I'm in the boat with those people. I think that you have been too harsh on GNOME. So I just wanted to set the record straight. I think that there are some issues with GNOME. I don't like that everything goes through that single thread. I have fundamentally had to restart my workflow over with GNOME. I'll be in the middle of working on something and I've had to start over because of a GNOME crash. But I acknowledge that it is the most popular desktop environment bar none. And I also acknowledge that there are more people working on GNOME than almost any other desktop environment. If you listened to the Ask Noah show last week, you heard Simon come on the, on the show and by the way, Simon's going to be joining us later for a really big announcement. But Simon was there on the show last week, and he said straight up, you know, we've got two people. The KDE team, the Kubuntu team, has two people to make that, that are working actively on bugs. Now, they have a big marketing side, and of course, they have all of the development uh, you know, uh, team and support and all of that of the KDE project itself. But the actual people that are that are, are, are working on problems on the exact desktop distro that I'm using is two. So to a certain, and, and they're two very bright people and they're obviously very capable because they're making a very good desktop and, and that works better for my use case than GNOME does. But I think it, it must be acknowledged that the largest open source company in the United States ships both of their two distributions with GNOME. 
And I think it's worth considering that the largest desktop distribution out there as of 1804 is shipping with the default desktop environment of GNOME. So that's where the majority of users are. That's where the enjoy that's where the majority of testing is going to be. And that's likely where a lot of the future of the Linux desktop is going to be. And so to a certain degree, I am bucking that norm by going with Kubuntu. And I'm happy with that. I, I'm happy with my decision. I, it's, it, I, and I have on this laptop in front of me, or the laptop that I, my ThinkPad is KDE Neon. Absolutely love it. Um, you know, but but it, at the end of the day, KDE Neon and Kubuntu, and they're very similar. And, I, you know, I so I had this discussion the past day or so about problems with GNOME and, and, and issues with GNOME and, and where I think the development and future of GNOME is. And one of the things that we kept coming back to is there's a lot of people in the Red Hat and the Fedora community, and they say, I don't have those problems. I've not had, I've not experienced those issues that you had. Maybe it's an Ubuntu specific thing. Well, I'm here to tell you that I can personally attest that is not the case because I have not, granted, I have not had issues under Fedora, but it is not Ubuntu specific because I was running Arch and I had the same issues. And the technical details from the people that have actually dug into the issues that we're having, be it the crashes, it doesn't really matter if it happens under X or under Wayland. It's a crash is a crash. They're both bad. Those the, the issue is known at a technical level, and that technical issue, that single thread, affects anything that it's running on GNOME. It doesn't matter what the underlying operating system is. And then to add to that, the future issue that we're going to run into, and we have talked about all this on the show, so we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but as when, when GNOME 4, and, and there's not been a lot of development on GNOME 4, but when GNOME 4 starts to ship, it is going to fundamentally break all of the extensions. At least to the best of the information that we're being provided now, it's going to break all of the extensions. And that's not a great boat to be sitting in, especially as we're going to talk about in the rest of the episode. We have some major opportunities here in the Linux desktop sphere. Ubuntu 18.10 is shipping with Wayland, or I'm sorry, is shipping with X instead of Wayland. And uh, I don't think that's any surprise to people that we're following closely. Uh, we told you here on the X, uh, on the Ask Noah show that the speculation was they were going to try to run Wayland, see if it works. If it works, they were going to stick with Wayland. If they ran into a lot of problems, they had the option of falling back for X for the stable LTS. I think that was a great decision. Absolutely awesome. In fact, even my wife, who's, by the way, running 1804 with uh, GNOME, you know, she... Her and I have some had had a fiery debate about it, and I said, you know, I, I think you should be using KDE because I, 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 well, part of it is I like to have the entire house on one distribution. My kids are on K, are on um, Kubuntu, and I said I think you should give it a shot too. And she tried it for a little bit; it wasn't for her. She said I just really like the no. And I said, well, you know, there's this single single thread issue. There's this, and she she gave me a good response. She goes, listen, I have been on 1604, and I wrote it until the next LTS came out, and that 1604 worked really well. Unity worked really well for me. And now GNOME is working really well for me. And as long as it's GNOME under X, the crash isn't that bad. It still happens. It's still not a good thing, but I don't lose any work. And I just have faith that Canonical is going to solve the problem one way or another. Either we'll get to the next LTS and we'll transition to Wayland, at which time they'll have a solution for the extensions, or they'll stay on X until they do. Uh, but either way, we're, they're they're not just gonna they're not just going to ship a desktop that crashes. That's ridiculous. And that logic, even though on a technical level I see all of these roadblocks, I know that that logic makes sense. That there are people far smarter than me that are going to figure that stuff out. And so I just want to offer my most sincere apology if anybody out there thought I took the position that I don't like GNOME or don't respect GNOME or don't care about the work that GNOME is doing. I th I think GNOME is a great desktop. I would love to use it. It simply isn't right for me at this time, uh, and so, and so yeah. So that, that's really all I have to say about about the the GNOME thing. Uh, they uh, they there's a really cool theme. It's called the community theme. If you if you think that stock 1804 doesn't look modern enough, or they haven't changed things enough for your liking, there's a really cool theme that you can apply. I have that applied here to my Dell 
uh, and it looks really good. They have changed the swap space from uh, a swap partition to just a swap file. And the other thing that I thought was just really, really fantastic is inside of the getting started uh, in the documentation inside of Ubuntu 18.04, they've actually included videos. Now, I don't know about you guys, but anytime my refrigerator breaks, anytime that my dishwasher breaks, anytime that my dryer breaks, basically anytime I need to know how to do something, I don't look for written documentation anymore. I look for videos, partly because I'm lazy, partly because I'm a visual learner. But I want to see how somebody does something. I don't want to read read it. And I have a very difficult time visualizing when I read. Part of the reason I listen to a lot of audiobooks. And not only have they produced these videos, they didn't just put them up on YouTube and say, well, here you go and, and you can just go search for them. They've actually included them in the official documentation. And that is so fantastic. I think that is such a good idea. I think that is so 2018 of Canonical, so forward thinking of them that you're going to have people that fundamentally don't understand how to do this, that, or the other, and are very confused because they've been using Unity for, well, almost 10 years, whatever it's been, eight years, uh, and eight years in its current incarnation. And now they have this entirely new desktop where things function entirely differently. The application launcher is at the bottom. Uh, you know, the settings are in different places. You, you, you do things a lot differently. Um, the window cascading thing can be really off-putting if you've not used GNOME before. The buttons have moved to the other side of the window. And they have these little videos that show you how to get everything kind of set up. And, and, it, and they've done a very good job with them. So bravo to the team that did that. Now, later on this week, we are going to have a video review that is going to follow uh, this episode where we kind of briefly just give you a cursory look at 1804. Should you upgrade? Yes, you absolutely should. Um, it it it's working very, very well again so far. We'll give you an in-depth review later on, but I do want to do a video that exemplifies and highlights some of the features and aspects of 1804 because these people have put a lot of really hard work into it. And overall, even though I have some issues with GNOME, I definitely think it was the right decision. Even now, I still think it was the right decision to ship with the world's most popular desktop distribution. Knowing what I know about the problems about GNOME, I still think it was the right decision to participate in the success of a desktop environment that literally every other distro is centering around. I think that's the way that we get a very cohesive, very user-friendly desktop environment. Again, phone lines this hour, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard, become a part of the program. Simon Quigley is our director of operations here at Speed Technologies. He's also the release manager for the Lubuntu project and um, had a chance to catch up with him. And uh, we uh, sat up till wee hours of the night and had a, a big, long, in-depth discussion about some of the upcoming projects at Speed and some of the cool things that cool things that he is doing. And uh, he recently made a decision. And as we were talking about it, I said, man, you got to come on the Ask Noah show and talk about that because that is so cool. So joining us again for the second week in a row is Mr. Simon Quigley. Hey, Simon, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I understand if Twitter is to be believed that uh, you have some cool news coming up on uh, for the Lubuntu project. Yeah, so with the past releases, we've always said we wanted to switch to LXQt. So LXQt it's the the cute five port of LXD, and this release we're finally making the jump and saying we are switching to LXQ for a fact. That's awesome, so, that, and that is big news. Let me so let's back up for a little bit for those that are that don't speak developer. Um, what is a toolkit? What does it do? And what toolkit was Lubuntu using before you guys decided to switch to LXQ? So the toolkit is the I don't know the library the the core piece of software that that comprises applications that you use. So it, it's things like your file manager or you know different pieces of software you may use like your web browser. All of that has common components and the the toolkit that Lubuntu used with with LXDE is GTK2 with some GTK3 applications. So GTK is is the I forget the acronym, but it's the GNOME toolkit. So it's what GNOME uses with their desktop environment, and it's what their applications use. But it's a very, very popular toolkit for the desktop in the Linux world. I guess I always thought that GTK stood for GNOME toolkit. You're, 
<laughs> Maybe, right? I mean, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so let me ask you this: What are the advantages of uh, of LXDE over uh, the, the the previous toolkit? So, I I don't know if you said it on the air. If this is what you and I were talking about, but you said that it was based on uh, LXDE and GTK two. So, why make the switch? Why why now? So GTK2 is losing support fast. Um, we're seeing people wanting to migrate off of GTK2. It's losing a lot of support. Um, and quite frankly, LXDE's development has slowed down and pretty much stopped at this point, except for like the Raspberry Pi people, who I think have forked it at this point. Um, so at this point, the, the move to, to Qt was done because Qt is a little bit more... I'm going to be careful with my wording here because I don't want to have people write in the show, show but... Qt is a little bit more easier to develop with. It's a little bit st more stable um, for, you know, in my use case for, with it. Um, Qt is, well, for people who don't know, Qt is actually the uh, toolkit primarily used by the, well, back in the day it was used by KDE people primarily, but now it's used by an increasing number of, of desktop environments. So I think Budgie's moving towards it. And now LXQT is, is moving towards it. And since an increasing people, increasing amount of people are using it, we thought it was a good idea to sort of move with that. So, Now, you said that there was a lot of people that were in the Lubuntu community that have wanted to do this for a long time or at least had wanted to have the discussion for a long time. So this decision is pretty big, yeah? Definitely, because we've been saying we, w we want to do this. I think we made the official announcement of the project in the 1410 cycle, so we're talking late 2014 here. Okay. Um, okay. So, I mean, I, I became the, the Lubuntu release manager um, in early 2017. Um, so we've had, the, we've had the LTS release. We couldn't do it right before the LTS release because I, I personally had a fear that it wouldn't be completely polished enough, and of course you have to keep the LTS pristine, polished, and stable, because um, that's what people expect of an LTS. So I think this is the right opportunity now to, to make finally make the switch, because around the 1610 cycle, 1704 cycle, when it would have been an, an ideal time to switch before the 1804 cycle, it wasn't quite ready yet. But now is the time I think we're going to make the switch, because... We just shipped an LTS that has three years of support, so you can depend on the LTS, you have LXDE, you have everything that you're used to, but going forward, our main development, so non-bug fix development, which Lubuntu will still receive bug fixes, don't get don't get us wrong there, we, we will still submit bug fixes and we will still work on it, but the goal here is to put our major development in polishing Lubuntu, well, it used to be called Lubuntu Next, we called it that, I think we had a, we had initial images in the 1704 cycle, I want to say. Um, and from there, now this will be called Lubuntu. And then going forward, we will refer to what is now Lubuntu as Lubuntu Classic. Okay so, so, okay, so break that down for a little bit. Does this have anything to do with the naming schema that has changed from Canonical over the past couple of years? So for example, you know, you started with Kubuntu and Lubuntu and Zubuntu and Ubuntu for Ubuntu proper. And now what you're seeing is them going to things, naming a naming scheme of Ubuntu Gnome, Ubuntu Mate, Ubuntu Budgie. Is, it is, is, is that related? Not really. Um, I think I remember when we first were starting to make the change, um, I think I saw it, what personally inspired me to call it Lubuntu Next was I think I saw something in the tooling about Ubuntu Next. So I think that I could be wrong on this, so don't quote me on it, but I think it, that was Ubuntu with Unity 8. So I, I sort of followed the naming scene because it makes sense. It's the next iteration of what will be Lubuntu. So I don't really think it was inspired by that because as, as of now, new flavors can only have that two-word convention. Um, flavors can't have that, you know, just letter before the Ubuntu name, but definitely it's, it's, you know, it, it was unrelated to that. Okay. So do you have something against GTK? Is there something that you don't like? And I mean, I, I understand that that's a difficult question. I, I understand that's kind of a jerk question to ask you, especially after I just got done apologizing to the GNOME folks, but I, I just want an honest answer. I mean, is, is there, a, is there a technical reason why so many projects and so many things are moving away from the GNOME toolkit and moving towards LXDE? LXQT, um, sorry, sorry. LXQT, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, I, I, as you said, it's a little bit of a difficult question because um, GTK is a, is a fine toolkit. It does the job well. Um, but I, I find talking with people, um, talking with my artwork team, talking with whoever, it seems that 
GNOME breaks up, well, the GNOME toolkit breaks things on updates more frequently than Qt does. So if you have a if you have an update to a Qt framework, you won't see you won't really see a lot of breaking changes in between releases as you know in the same way that you would see themes breaking and extensions breaking and whatever else breaking in between GNOME releases and GTK releases. Um, so I guess my, I look at it towards you know be, being more stable. Plus, with Qt, you have it, it. In my experience as a developer, it's just been a little bit easier. I, of course, that's subjective. Of course, somebody's going to say, "Oh, well, GTK is just much easier for me," and you know I can respect that because we all have certain things that we're familiar with. I find myself more familiar with Qt than GTK, but. I, I guess Qt seems to be a little bit more stable to me, and it seems to be where there's a lot of active de development, and, you know, all projects that I really respect use it, so, you know, things like KDE, um, Budgie is moving towards it, that sort of thing, I, I just, I think it's the right decision going forward, especially because upstream development has turned towards LXQT, well, uh, just about that real quick, if I, go on, if I can go on a little tangent, mm -hmm. originally mm -hmm. the plan was to go right from LXD to LXQT and leave LXD behind, but LXD still receives minor bug fixes and sometimes give or take one new feature here or there, but it's really nothing compared to what's going on in LXQT right now. So I think it's the right decision going forward. It's more active upstream and it's just, in my opinion, it's an easier toolkit to develop with. So it's interesting you talk about how many different projects are moving towards LXQT, and indeed, I have seen the exact same thing. As I look out and as I as I talk to other people that are in the, the Linux desktop world, a lot of the, the other desktops, obviously not GNOME, but a lot of the other desktops are moving that direction. Do you see uh, uh, LXQT as the future of the Linux desktop? Do you see that as where developers, if they're coming in today and starting to work on something and they don't have any predefined um, beliefs, is, is that was that the direction that Linux is moving? Meaning towards Qt or LXQt specifically? No, Qt specifically, I suppose. Mm, I think that it's certainly it's certainly appealing. Um, sometimes more than than GTK, I guess. Both of them have their use cases. I I would say that, but I also think that with Qt you have advantages like cross-platform. You have advantages like, you know, um, like I said, backing by KDE. You have many different advantages even some little advantages that, you know, they're, they're trivial enough, but I guess I would personally say, yes, Qt is where new Linux developers should be looking, um, if they want to develop on Linux. So how about for the, like the art theming, the API stability, stuff like that? Uh, still, I would, I would sort of say, I would sort of say Qt is a little bit more stable. I'm not saying Qt is perfect. I just, you know, <laughs> let's, let's make that clear. But I, I do think that that cute in that respect is a lot more mature. So you said earlier that the LTE, you know, you're going to get support for three years. Is Lubuntu on a different LTS support cycle than Ubuntu proper? Sure. So let me, let me actually explain that because it's an interesting thing that I, I see people sort of get and sort of say inaccurately all the time. So Canonical as a company, they support Ubuntu desktop and Ubuntu server for five years. The Ubuntu release team and the technical board, they recommend that for flavors, because, um, it, it, well, how it, I should step back a little bit, because in Ubuntu, it's um, the packages are split into different sections. So what gets supported by the security team and well, the, the canonical hired security team is different than what than the section um, that that flavors are in that all like the packages that they are in. So, I guess it's it's they recommend that three year support is is what you choose because flavors sometimes can be a little bit of a, of a more fast paced cycle. Um, but of course, canonical has corporate partners and they so they need that five year thing. So, I guess sh the short of it is. Flavors typically go with three years of support. Um, canonical supported um, things that they they might have corporate partners that rely on it. They will go with five years of support, and then from there, there's no certain time on how long the extended support that they do lasts. I've heard eighteen months. I'm not sure, but that goes on from there. But they support that commercially. When does work start on the LXQT? I guess migration. When, when, when can people start, when can people expect to start kind of playing with it? And if they want, if they're, if they're okay 
being in between the LCS, if they're okay with a daily build, when when can we expect the first release of of Lubuntu with LXQT? So we've had Lubuntu Next builds for, like I said, a release or two now. Um, we just haven't formally released them. And so you could right now grab an, uh, grab an ISO, but I, I will have to admit that it's been on the back burner a little bit. Um, so we things might not be as polished. So you can grab the dailies right now. Um, they're just, they're, there's some polish that needs to be required. But we will release Lubuntu only with LXQT at, um, in the 18.10 release. And, well, with the 1810 release, we know we know right now that it's named that the adjective is cosmic. We don't know the the animal name yet, but we know it's cosmic. So, the the cosmic release will have LXQT, but as soon as images start going for that, which within the next month, I want to say, give or take, I, there's no really certain time, those will be available. Certainly, a lot of people are using Lubuntu because they like the technical advantages that Lubuntu has the performance that Lubuntu has. And certainly, you know, when you see people skating to where the puck is going to be, like going to these newer toolkits and the toolkits that are accepted by a large number of distros, um, that is a that is an appealing aspect. But what about the people that want to run Lubuntu on older computers? Typically, you'll see a lot of community members say, I have a 10-year-old computer, a 15-year-old computer, a 20-year-old computer. What distro should I use? And Lubuntu has always been kind of that safe bet because it's such a low overhead desktop on top of a very current and modern Ubuntu base, which you can run modern software, um, but not eat up a lot of resources. Is this change going to affect that? So the changes I've seen between LXD and LXQT are in the tens of megabytes, so not much. Um, but you have, you have to sort of think. Um, computers 10 years ago aren't what they used to be. They We're, we're seeing machines with at least a gig or two of RAM um that you know that sort of thing of course lubuntu going forward we will try to stay lighter um and we will try to stay more efficient but of course as we move forward there will be a slight increase in resources i'm not say like i said i'm not saying that it's going to drastically change and we're going to become a really really heavy bloated distro but of course we're going to ship applications that are going to be frequently used by people so LibreOffice, that sort of thing um and we're, we're keeping up with that, but as a side effect, LXQT is extremely light. So the, the, the short answer to that is no, think that, will, that won't really change. You've told me before, personally, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the air, but you've told me personally that what originally got you into Lubuntu, the reason that you're a Lubuntu user today was because you could use it on older hardware. So I guess my follow-up question is, if there was ever a decision to be made as the release manager, you're obviously going to put a lot of emphasis on the ability for people to run on older machines. Is that do I understand that correctly? Yep, absolutely. How about um the the actual messaging of Lubuntu? Is that what Lubuntu is designed for? When you ask people, they say, Well, Ubuntu proper is just for general, you know. Linux for human beings, that's what Ubuntu is. When people start asking, what is the purpose of the of the LXDE desktop on top of Ubuntu proper, what do you tell them the prescribed purpose of the Lubuntu distro is? So nowadays, well, I yes. Well the thing the thing with Lubuntu is lightweight is a meme, but I won't so I won't I won't say that, but um, it's it, Lubuntu is for the elevator pitches. Lubuntu is for older resource computers or for computers that just want something quicker running on it. Um, it's a it's a very very efficient operating system that takes advantage of you know or I don't, I, I, we don't we don't have like an like an elevator pitch like Linux for human beings stuff like that. But it is it is definitely a lighter distro. Um, definitely is something that it can run on older hardware but it's also it also makes new machines fly if, if you get what i mean there um yeah absolutely in fact uh i know that we can't talk about this in great detail coming on the show tonight but uh coming up in the next couple of weeks there's another big announcement that's going to become that, that's going to become public uh, uh, about lubuntu the details are not finalized so i suppose it could fall through the floor at the last minute but um all of that all of that lead up to say we're going to start looking at Lubuntu or people could start looking at Lubuntu 
as a daily driver desktop distribution that is there to solve your problems that 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 can work and that you can rely on as a workstation quality os or a desktop quality uh, os it's not just for i want to i want to repurpose that old computer in the back for for grandma to uh, to browse the internet yeah so it's it's definitely going to be interesting going forward um with that because yeah because lxqt is certainly I think the way to go with that. So, all right, uh, Simon Quigley, T Simon, uh, is it? Uh, let's see here. What what exactly is it? T Simon Q two on Twitter, uh, director of operations at Alta Speed Release Manager for the Lubuntu team, and uh, frequent contributor and sometimes call screener on the Ask Noah Show. Thanks for joining us, Simon. We appreciate having you. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Again, phone lines are open, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Kyle joins us this hour. Hey, Kyle, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi. I was just calling in. I've been working on a little pet project in a virtual machine off on the side, um, creating, I wouldn't call it my own distro, but, you know, just kind of experimenting with my own desktop and stuff using sure. OpenBox. And I'm using Alpine Linux as the base. Okay. I downloaded it, and it's doing great. It's really light, and what, that's kind of what I was going for. I was going to try to build something for this really old, like, 15, 20-year-old computer. Wow. Um, in my grandfather's basement. And I wanted to build my own little um, UI, but I've run into some problems starting an X server, it won't let me do it, and I haven't been able to find anything online on how unless I install XFCE and then don't use it. Okay. But there's all the XFCE programs, and all the all, all their stuff is still there. I want to see if I can get – and I tried just deleting it uh-huh. after I got everything up and running, and then everything broke. Okay. Uh, so let me step through this with you just a little bit so I make sure I understand. So you you want X server on there, but you don't want the LX or you don't want XFCE, the desktop. Env- what desktop environment do you intend to use, if any? Well, like I said, I'm using OpenBox and oh, right. programs is just kind of a pet project to make my own thing. Right. I'm sorry. You did tell me that. I'm sorry. Um, unf- yeah. Uh, and so, does uh, what is there any output, any error message that pops up when when uh, when X server fails to start? Yeah, it says no screens found, but they. I've looked online, and nobody seems to be having the same problem as me. They all. I've tried all of the different solutions that I found on forums, and number one, none of them are running Alpine Linux, and they're all it's almost all ubuntu or arch and to i've tried it anyway and it just didn't work okay i'll 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 be honest with you i've had i i definitely am not a developer of of um of uh, desktop environments or anything like that so my my ability to troubleshoot them is probably a little bit limited uh, have you run uh, the uh, have you run the the command uh, reconfigure uh, what is it um reconfigure open bot uh, or no it should be yeah. it's like xorg dash server so, like, just let me see if i look it up here uh there's a there's a command that you can that you can run that in dash dash configure yes right yes uh, uh yes reconfigure x server dash xorg have you have you tried running that yeah and it's and that was one of the solutions and it's still coming up the same error unless i um install xfce and what i tried to do is just remove individual components from um, XFCE mm-hmm. to see if that would work, and I could just keep whatever's making it work. But Alpine Linux, I guess it's an Alpine Linux problem, um, is trying to save me from deleting a dependency that would make it stop working, even though that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Chat room suggests perhaps maybe it's an issue with the video card. The, the, maybe XORG is too new for the video card. Do you happen to know what video card is in it? Is it a dedicated discrete graphics? Is it dedicated graphics? Is it uh, integrated? integrated but i'm running it in a virtual machine right now so i don't know if that would change things hmm okay um 
Yeah, I, I, I guess I don't know. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, here's, here's one thing you could do if we want to continue troubleshooting this. The, the way to continue, uh, Kyle, is to uh, export the contents of exorg.conf, so slash Etsy slash x11 slash exorg.conf. Spit out the output of that, and if you can, if you could send it to me in an email, live at asknoahshow.com, I will include that config in the show notes, and I'll link to it, and we'll see if anybody in the community has an idea of, of what exactly is causing that problem with Xorg. Unfortunately, I am, uh, I'm not qualified to answer that question. I've not quite uh, dug in quite that deeply to desktop environments. Um, one thing you might consider, and I don't know if this would actually work for you or not, because <clears throat> again, I'm kind of outside of my uh, my purview here, but one thing you might consider is installing a desktop environment so that you have a working X server and then just not using it. Just let it let the file sit there while you build you know, your own thing on the side. Uh, and then once you get your thing working, then you can slowly start to try to remove and replace um, the, you know, the working components of the desktop. And uh, give me a call back if you would, and let me know how that works out. Uh, and if you don't, and if we don't find an answer for you, then uh, then give me a call back and let me know that too, because I'd, I'd like to keep track of that. It's an interesting problem. Jim is calling from Virginia. Hey, Jim, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. Welcome back from the left coast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was that for sure. It was it was quite the trip. We are glad uh, that you spend so much time out there at JB. Appreciate all your participation there and going to Linux Fest Northwest. I really appreciate uh, your support. Said, I have a problem. Well, uh, you're the one who's doing the supporting. We're just we're just here cheering in the stands. So appreciate it, sir. How can I, we help uh, today? I made the bold uh, decision to. Update my wife's Lenovo X201 to Ubuntu Mate 1804 on the day of release. And because normally I can do that without a problem, I've been running the beta on some of my own machines. That's been fine. Uh, everything went well with the install. And now when I come up to the login screen, I log in and nothing happens. No error message. It just goes blank and then it comes back to the login screen. I'm making the assumption, but it could be a wrong one, that because there was I've split it up so there's a root partition, there's a home partition, and there's a swap area. And the home area is encrypted, and I'm, I'm assuming that somehow in the install where I didn't overwrite that, but I said this is home, just don't format it, that I missed a step or there's some problem. And I'm wondering if it is an encrypted drive problem, what I can do to get around that. I mean, I can always boot from another USB drive and find out what the encryption pass, uh, passphrase is. But I'm just wondering if you've run into that before. I've done this on changing from one Ubuntu derivative to another. Haven't had this problem up to this point in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if it was encrypted, uh, the the key definitely could have changed. Um, so that 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 definitely is a possibility. Um, as far even as though I didn't allow it to, oh, I see. Even though I didn't allow it to overwrite or format or anything like that. Well, right. But if you didn't, if you if you didn't, let me think about this now. If you didn't allow it to format, then the new, then the then you would be using your old encryption key, right? You'd be using the old the, the old encryption key from the old home directory. So, okay. so uh, it, it, assuming that it's encrypted with um, with Lux, which I assume it is, if if it's just a little checkbox, if you were to boot, if you were to take a flash drive and boot into a environment, you should see that that directory pop up, and if you click okay. on it, Lux should prompt you to decrypt that directory, which would allow you to, if nothing else, pull all the data off of it. Um, but what you what you should be able to do is, and, and again, I'm I'm trying to think very carefully while I'm on the air here with you and, and visualize this. You said you have a, a separate partition for the home directory, right? So what that's one right, and that's what well, that's what would be encrypted. Yeah. So what one could do is copy the data out of the home directory, then inside of the new inst. Well, but you can't log into the new installation, so you wouldn't be able to uh, you wouldn't be able to use any of the graphical tools there. Um. So what, what you could try doing is remove all of the data out of the home directory, back that up to an external hard drive somewhere off the system, remove the home directory entirely, and when you boot into the new system, 
you would have to create a new user because the home directory for that that existing user won't be there. And, and interestingly enough, Jim, we actually we try. I, I actually we tried this deleting the home directory at JB one in one of the systems, and I can tell we thought it might just regenerate all the files necessary to work, and it de definitely does not. Uh, but so what you could do is you could drop to a, a command shell, so Control Alt F one, and create a, a temporary user, so user space add space uh, Jim temp. And then a set of passwords, so P-A-S-S-W-D, and then a space, and then what you want the password, and then the username. So Jim Temp, press enter, make up a password. And that should allow you to at least log in to the system. Then once you're there, by default, Jim Temp is going to get created in the root directory slash home slash Jim Temp or whatever. Once you log, once you're able to log into the system, at that point, you should then be able to go and create a new user and set that user back and set that user's home directory back up on the partition that you've created within gnome disks inside of uh your new 1804 installation does that do you follow that and i can write that all up in a step by step too that wouldn't hurt to to have it in writing yeah i'll do um, that i'll do that for if you if all else fails the, the the home drive the home partition is backed up so I, but rather than go to that first and learn nothing um I wanted to see if I could do it the uh, the less straightforward way. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So Good if, on you for backing that up. Fails, we... Oh yeah. Uh, I, I've been married for forty six years, and that's one of the reasons why is we don't lose data around here. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, my 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 wife might be listening to this, and I might be in trouble when I get home for a certain incident that may or may not have occurred six months ago. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, give, okay. Give, give that give that a shot, Jim. And the other thing that you might try if, is if if all else fails, just 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 short of the nuclear option. Uh, you could try. You could try running something like sudo apt-get install space tac tac reinstall gnome dash shell, which will wipe away gnome and then put gnome on there. So chat room was pointing out there is there sometimes an issue with the dot x authority um, uh, uh, file that's that's inside of gnome and uh, and that prevents the gui login sometimes. Uh, so if you if you simply uh, if you simply wipe just entirely blow away gnome. You know, you'll you'll for sure lose all of the the stuff that's in there. It sounds like you know all of that's backed up, and it would save you from having to start the whole installation. Personally, if it's my machine, I'd probably just nuke and pave. It's it, it'll be really clean. Uh, it'll be really straightforward. You know, it'll work. And if there ever was a time to nuke and pave something, it would be when you have you're switching desktop environments. I mean, the, the especially if you're going from a an LTS to an LTS, you're going from you know 1604 to 1804. That would be the time to do it. Again, phone lines are open. 1-855-450-NOAA, 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. OMG, Ubuntu.co.uk headline, Google just forked a popular GTK theme. Rumor is that desktop Linux apps are coming to Chromebooks. And when they do, they may look rather familiar, like Adapta GTK theme familiar. Reports earlier in the year reveal plans Google has to add Linux virtual machine supports in Chrome OS via LXD containers. We speculated at the time that we could move, allow end users to run desktop apps in Chromebooks without resorting to existing crouton-based hybrid OS solutions. Recent code commits revealed that Google is working on a fork of the adapted GTK theme. A few months on from those early vague leaks and the whole Linux app on Chromebooks thing, which Google code names Crustini, is in full bloom. A native terminal app has started showing up on some Chrome OS users already. If you're intrigued by all of this Christini stuff, an excellent place to try to stay up to date and track all of these things is the Christini subreddit. This is where most of the news, code spots, and leaks about the efforts originate. Still, if Christini was a developer-specific tool, a way to get Android Studio or on Chromebooks, or even just a CLI-based setup, then surely Google wouldn't as wouldn't as fussed about aesthetics to fork a GTK theme to start developing it. A Chromebook that can run Android apps, progressive web apps, and desktop Linux apps, that's a really compelling lure. So, a couple of things on this. First, of course, we're going to have that subreddit linked for you in the show notes, so you should keep an eye on that. Google seems to be taking Chromebooks to an entirely new level. We watched as Chromebooks really rose to prominence when the Acer C, uh, I think it was a C9, is a C920 or C20 or something like that? When that laptop came out, 
it was the most popular laptop sold on Amazon for like nine straight months because everybody wanted a $200 computer that could check email, browse the internet, watch YouTube, all of the basic things that we all do that fits a Chromebook user. And what Google has seen is that there is a developer market and these developers are looking for computers that they can use reliably to get their work done. And they, they, Google watched these developers buy Chromebooks and I see them all the time at Linux Fest. I mean, just scattered about at Linux Fest. They're not running Chrome OS. They're running either Crouton or they've entirely flashed it. Now, a little, uh, little pro tip. If you entirely wipe the OS off of a Chromebook, there is a small little thing that can bite you. There is a flag. It's called the read-write flag. You must turn the read-write flag off so that the drive is not write-protected from writing a new operating system to it. In some models of Chromebooks, if the battery completely goes dead, like all the way to zero, in other words, you, it died and then you left it sit in the computer bag too long, that read-write flag automatically turns back on, and when the computer goes to boot up, it realizes that it doesn't have Chrome OS, and so it, can, it, it, and it, it won't boot an unsigned operating system, and so the system just won't boot. And then you're semi-hosed because you can't boot your existing Linux installation and Chrome OS no longer exists. So the only option is to reinstall Chrome OS, return that flag on, and then reinstall your entire Linux OS. So Crouton by far is the safer way to go because you can just turn that flag back off then if, uh, if you run into trouble. And that's what a lot of people, that's what a lot of developers are doing. That's what a lot of people are doing. And I, I, so what you are watching on one side is Apple is moving away from the desktop and laptop infrastructure as they made their announcements in 20, uh, that in 2020, they're going to move away from X64 processors. They're going to go to ARM based processors and um, for Apple's business model, getting everything on iOS, one code base. We've talked about that on the show. That'll probably be a very profitable venture for them, but it leaves developers in a tight spot because developers are doing one of three things. They are either SSHing into a more powerful Linux workstation to get their work done. They are running those applications locally on their machine, or they are virtualizing them. Now, in the case of option A, SSHing into a more powerful machine, it is far more efficient and far more cost-effective to just use a Chromebook. There's less overhead in the in the uh, guest oper the client-side operating system. There's less money involved. And everything's fast because you can afford because there's no like local storage to speak of. You can run basically everything on RAM sticks, essentially. So that's a really that's a that's a really compelling option to a lot of developers is to SSH in. And that's the way that places like Google are doing a lot of this. Option B is they're running the code locally. Well, if you have a different processor system, then that no longer works. And there are minor differences between Nginx on ARM and Nginx on on the, on uh, x64. And so if you're trying to run local copies of all of these softwares and you can't track version numbers exactly, you can't run the exact version number, that's an off-put to developers. And then there's the third way, which is virtualization. Well, if you go to ARM, you still have all of the servers are running x64 and you can't really virtualize a separate instruction set because it becomes too slow. So for all of those reasons, there is no good way if Apple continues on this path, and again, I will be the first to admit that they that they have said this is their plan. That does not mean it's locked in stone. They could pull the plug at the at the eleventh hour. I don't think they will, but they could pull the pl plug at the eleventh hour. So they are moving towards mobile. They are moving towards iOS. They want to have commercials with little girls sitting on the lawn that don't know what computers are. That's Apple's vision of computers. Then you have Microsoft on the other hand, and Microsoft continues to not see a lot of reinvestment into the windows infrastructure people are moving away from it people do not have a lot of respect for windows there's not a lot of hype and excitement around windows certainly there is a a plethora of security issues and stability issues on windows and so you have the windows market and microsoft itself trying to transition and and, and move itself into the cloud in things like azure and as you watch what's happening as these companies do these things, Microsoft becomes more and more successful. Every time they do something in Azure and offer something as a cloud-based service, people buy, eat it up. And people continue to not really understand the mess that is Windows 10. 
people continue to buy iPads and iPhones. People continue to not buy, at least in any large number that represents more than 10% of the desktop infrastructure, Macs. Now, Google is already successful in both the cloud and mobile. Google was probably the forefront runner in cloud. Google probably had more cloud than any other company when they started. They dominate the cloud. I mean, they're a search engine, right? That's where they make all of the, the vast majority of their money. People think of cloud, they immediately associate it with Google. When you think of cloud-based mail, you're thinking Gmail. And indeed, many companies that want to use mail, if it's cloud-based, if it's hosted, they're probably doing it in Gmail. And on the mobile side, Android has like 85% dominance worldwide. And we don't see that so much here in the U.S. because, you know, the U.S. pocketbooks tend to be a little bit thicker. And because Apple has a heavy presence here, it's, it's kind of a split. But you go worldwide, it's very heavy Android, baby. And all of these embedded devices, all of these displays and screens and kiosks and all that, those are all on Android. So I think it's safe to say that Google has won on the Android front. I think it's safe to say that Google has won on the cloud front. I think it's safe to say that Apple is winning on the on the on the mobile front and continues to win on the mobile front. And I think it's fair to say that Microsoft is winning on the cloud front, at least for the, the thing that they are intending to do. So that leaves the desktop. Now, again, Apple, not a lot of growth on the desktop. You still see primarily Windows machines, if I'm being honest. Not a lot of growth there. And you have Microsoft, which is losing desktop users and and the desktop market share in and of itself is shrinking. So they're not focused on it. They're not putting a lot of money in there. But Google, Google is the third is the third wheel. Google is the company that has more and more resources every single day and they've already dominated two of the existing platforms. What would be wrong? What would be the problem? Where is what's stopping Google for making a serious attempt to dominate the desktop? And all of this comes at exactly the right time because right now you have more people than ever interested in Linux. You have developers who have a need for a machine backed by a large company that can work really well. But the question I have to ask, the question that everybody is asking is, can we accept that Google might be necessary to make the Linux desktop successful? And if we accept that, is that, is that, is that something we can live with? Can we live in a world where Google makes the Linux desktop, where you can go into Best Buy and buy a subsidized, very nice hardware computer. If you've looked at the Pixel book, and I have the original Pixel, it is a fantastic machine. I have a new, it's not made by Google, but I think, I think it's an HP, uh, a new Chromebook. After this news broke, I had to order one. I needed one that had USB-C so I could play with it. If you're that person, if you like Linux, and you want to be able to just walk into a store and buy a machine that quote unquote works. You know, if you're the if you're the Mac user that that you know you don't you don't have any operating system allegiance, you just need a computer that works, you need to be able to do your development work on, and Google is gonna give it to you. And by the way, they're gonna give it to you at a great price compared to what you were paying for that MacBook. And then you start to see these manufacturers, instead of Chromebooks becoming these two or three hundred dollar machines, maybe that's the entry level ones, but maybe we get some more Pixel books and some more people competing in that realm. I know Dell has started to. Maybe we get to a world where you can buy a Linux desktop that can run native Linux applications in a store with a two-year warranty for a decent price on great hardware, backed by a large multi-billion dollar company. Is that something we can live with? I don't know. If you have an opinion on it, give me a call, 855-450-6624. Send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. But I'm really interested in this. I'm really interested to see where this goes. I really think this has the ability to move Linux forward if we play our cards right. Now, I also think there's a bright, bright future for Ubuntu and Ubuntu 18.04. I would not at all put it past uh, Google to look up and say, hey, guess what, guys? We're trying to maintain this other version of Linux or whatever. I'm not sure that we really need to do that. I think we could probably just go to something like Ubuntu. And then we can provide not only develop, you're not just talking about developers that are developing PC apps. Maybe these are, Requesting. Well, maybe these developers are developing things like Android apps right on their machines. I don't know. Time will tell. We here at the Ask Noah show will continue to follow it at always and uh, bring you updates as they come. 
Hey, did you guys know that this show is available as a downloadable podcast? That's right. To subscribe to the show or download the latest episode, visit podcast.asknoahshow. You can get the latest episode. And of course, follow us on Twitter at Ask Noah Show. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thanks to Vox Telsis for providing our phone systems, Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener, and Chris Fisher, owner and operator of Jupiter Broadcasting. This hour of the show may be over, but there's plenty more content for you 24-7 at AskNoahShow.com. 